This is going to be another episode of the Best Damn League show. Obviously, I always do that little preamble of like, this is not Dom, but obviously last week was in fact Dom. But again, back to not Dom. But it's okay because I actually think, as people have seen on this particular season, this split, the winter split of the LEC, I think what people have actually realized is why I decided I would actually do this like rotating guest approach. Because I also do think it's actually a mad underrated approach when you're doing like a weekly league and week to week you're going. Because especially in those first weeks, like people play like two games, two be or once. So like how much has really changed about the team fundamentally? And also, I actually thought if I time it out right, if you notice, I didn't just do the exact same same rotation again, then I can potentially bring people back on specific weeks that'll be interesting. So if people don't know, one of the things here that Jensen, who was obviously on the first, uh, I think you were on the very first episode, no, was it the first? No, I think you were on the third episode. I'm trying to think if you were I the second on the Oh, you were on the second one then. Okay, right. Sabatine was the first. Jensen was the second. Jensen, if people don't know, was someone who's not only featured on a bunch of my content, he actually was a patron of mine for a long time, which is quite cool. He's also someone who has coached with Splice and a bunch of other teams. I actually did an interview on my channel where you could go find out about his coaching history. And then also, I actually think I've always brought this up in the latter days, is I like people that kind of have their own perspective on the game. Like they have their own paradigm of how League of Legends works. So for example, as I often go to pains to point out, whenever anyone tells me that like Monty's washed or like, ah, what does he know about the game? It's like, mate, there's a famous thing people say about Sigmund Freud, right? Which is they say that in the modern day, everyone just says, well, of course he was wrong about everything wasn't he but the joke is because it's so long ago all the things he was right about just influenced the culture to the extent that you everyone takes them for granted like a fish takes water for granted and it's only the things that didn't make sense that people remember and essentially just point out those so in the same sense what I'll bring up is you know what that whole thing that Monty did he was doing this guys in for real in like 2013 where when the game began he would tell you what patch it is what has changed on that patch he would tell you based on the team comps they've picked, what their win conditions for the actual game are, and then through the game, he would track that. And I've always said, I think that's actually one of the most like low-key best ways I've ever seen to watch a League of Legends game. That's why I actually always thought Monty was the king. And obviously, in the modern day, the joke is some people don't even do that. But I think that's basically the bare minimum of what a caster should understand in League of Legends. Like Monty sort of showed you the way there of how to break the game down to a layman. So similarly, one of the things I often point out that Jensen's done in the last few years is, instead of just being like, right, this is a game with 100 and X champions in the game and, you know, whatever random order and just going off that. Like, I notice a lot of people to this day use sort of solo queue thinking they use like, well, this beats that. And then, you know, but it, it's hard to play into that. And it's like, I know they're just going off like the generalized game. Well, what Jensen's actually done is he's got like a philosophy of the styles that team play. So as you'll remember, he often does the map control style against like the scaling slash gold efficiency approach to the game. And I actually do think if you look at the game, it's a useful lens. I often use the term lens because it reminds me of, you know, when you go to the opticians and he tests out different aspects of your vision by putting one lens in it'll make it like really close but then you put another one in it'll make it like better but in a different way but then put it so I've always thought that's what analysis is you're looking through different lenses to get a different perspective so actually let's do this for some of the teams in the playoffs Jensen because obviously we've had these playoff matchups and I actually think that approach by the way works the best in a playoff series that's why I was kind of preambling that I thought I'd bring you back on one of these where we were deep into the playoffs not when it's like the first one and we're all speculating both BO1s so the, I actually want to start with kind of the we're going to start with 
with what's called the hard sledding. This is going to be the hardest team to talk about, Jensen, because they're not supposed to be here. And it's actually not going to be BDS, by the way. BDS has been good since after week one. It's going to obviously be Mad Lions. Like right now, no matter what happens, they're going to be at least fourth. And I have to say, as much as like, look, it wasn't convincing when they played before. I have to say, after watching Mad Lions, like it's not even impossible they could like fluke and get third, mate. Like I actually think I have to just give it up to them at this point in time. Like they've defied me so many times in the game. So let's start with this team. Where do you put this team? Because the first thing I would ask is this, Jensen, before we get into the style, just give me a sense of some of these players. I'm sure, obviously, like I didn't watch the RLs. I watched a little bit of the U Masters they were in, but like I didn't know many of these players. I didn't have like, high expectations. Frankly, I didn't hear much hype either. I've got to say behind the scenes from other people. What do you actually think of the player strength? I mean, the idea of this is a top four teams quite interesting with so many rookies and stuff. so what do you think of the players strength of Mad Lions who's impressed you uh, Elio is definitely a start right Th this is the player that they wanted to build around and um, the other four players are the more interesting pieces at first I thought that uh, from just watching the first week Alvaro Alvaro stood out as someone who was, was decent with potential and I thought Fresco was okay I thought that top and AD in terms of my in terms of the way that I viewed the game uh, top leaners that tend to have very high variance and tend to be very swingy sure. Players I don't like as much, right? Right. So the reasons why people would rate Moment uh, a lot higher, he doesn't check a lot of the boxes that I generally tend to check. But if you're talking about overall development, I would say that um, currently Alvaro and Merwin are the two with the highest upside on this team at this point of time. Whereas if if we go back to the conversation we're having, right? Like what are the hard decisions that Mad Lions will want to make if they really want to make the push for the top two? Um, then it's mid and 80 carry that they have to look at replacing. So um but then again, the, the question is, do they necessarily want to be in that position? Sure, yeah. So, uh, and the other question that comes in here as well is that, is this necessary the right team to help uh, Merwin develop into that, right? Because if you look at where Merwin is and where Alvaro is, I would say that uh, top lane in traditional Europe has not been one of the strongest positions. Oh, sure. I have to say that this bit has been a little bit different, where top lane has been a, a, a lot more competitive and Merwin has definitely been bringing the guns to the table, right? Executing lane to par. And then when people make mistakes, he's able to capitalize on those mistakes and convert those mistakes into advantages for his team. So in that aspect, it's not someone I would look at this and say, and say that, yeah, he's just another of those, one of those era top laners who puts up average laning stats because he's playing against people who don't really know how to play the game. He's able to translate that into the LEC level of gameplay. Um, and it would actually be interesting if they actually do make top two uh, and have a chance to go to MSI, just so that I can see how he can fare up against some of the international top laners, right? right? I do not think it will go well, but that is what he would need as a player to really go down there and then when he looks at how the Chinese teams play, right? They play so aggressively, they play for the leads in lane, yet at the same time, they're able to, to maintain this level of stability at the same time. And that is what I think would help him grow quite a fair bit as a player. But uh, with his current mid and 80 carry, as we started to see the playoff series unfold, these are two players, uh, macro-wise, this team plays very well. Uh, once you look at the team fights, right? And this is something where... Um, it's not exactly the reason. Uh, you, you could say it is kind of the reason why they lost the Fnatic series in the very start, start of the playoffs. Is that the solo laners were hitting spells, they were just under-executing in team fights, and then they just got out team fought by Fnatic. Um, but it's rather clear when you watch these players. Uh, the difference between, <coughs> say, a, a player that's like one between one uh, between that's within one tier might not be very apparent, but it is quite clear that 
the amount of damage that Super is doing in the Steam fights as an AD carry, as compared to some of the more story AD carries in, in the league, is definitely not there, right? You see him cancelling these auto attacks, you see him uh, missing these opportunities, his spacing in these scenarios isn't necessarily the best. So these are the plays I'm a little bit more off on, but then this is where this the curse of this entire Spanish project comes into play, right? If you're going to make the changes, how do you go about making those changes? And if oh, you as in, changes, can you, I, 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 you know, who, who even are you allowed to change? And you know, you have to get a Spanish player, that sort of thing, right? I see what you mean, right? Yeah. By the way, one thing I have to say is really weird to me is, right, I always tell people, I don't really think in league I'm an expert in the sense that, like, the reason I always sit specifically in league, like, spoiler, and see, yes, I've watched every match, I absolutely am. But the reason in league I always say it is because I actually think it's the most high-maintenance job to be an expert in because there's all these regions, you have to keep up on the current meta, and the joke is if you step away from a year, like, you will actually feel like you, you don't know the modern game and you don't know the ins and outs. But one thing that always shocks me is I always bang on about the eye test. Obviously, it's the ultimate thing, to, in my opinion, like, all the like in my opinion, the eye test is what gives the context to the stats and all the other things, etc. So one of the things I've found so weird is I can always tell when someone's just like Spanish slash a Mad Lions fan. Like they're not like like a fan of just high level League of Legends. Because like you say, it's easy for me to praise Merwin as like a almost a revelation in top lane. Alvaro's just a really good support player, by the way. Like these players, I can easily praise. Obviously, El Yoya, I already thought was sick. It's turned out actually building the squad around him's been really interesting. And kind of, I get, I see what his vision was now. It kind of works like he actually does look fucking dope whereas I would have thought before if you make him like the primary like sort of factor of the team then maybe he'll, he'll actually be annoyed he doesn't have other superstar players and stuff but the part I can't get is the people who keep praising super the ADC it's like bro like what are your eyes seeing in team fights like I, to me ADC is one of the easiest roles to evaluate in team fights is he actually auto attacking them is he doing damage if they're not like if they can't position correctly if they're always like outside or they just die then it's obvious that they're not good at that role like I don't care at the end what the box got like maybe their team wins the game and so they get to have a score line that looks good it's irrelevant like you can see in that role in the game so I actually think like the mid laner one's pretty obvious I think but I think for somehow the ADC one's kind of like a sleeper maybe it's like the, maybe the Alvaro factors make people think it's just a bot lane in general dude I think the super guy is very mediocre mate the Alvaro guy actually looks really good I've got to say props to him I don't know where they got this guy from me I think he could be around quite a while yeah I'm I'm definitely with you on that. And but what I really think comes down to the success of Metline so far. In fact, I actually think that there's a but this is my bias coming in once again, right? Where at the moment we're left with four teams, and three of these teams are very aggressively uh, attempting the map control style of gameplay. So naturally, I'm going to favor them over uh, Fnatic in this case, who is not playing that style of gameplay, even though the cynical side of me would say that, yes, if I'm a betting man, I'm still going to put money on sure. Fnatic because that's a more sure. uh, safer style to win with, right? But um, from what I've seen so far, and I'm just going to contextualize this, right? So when I talk about this map control style of gameplay, people think that, oh, it's about playing on two lanes and stuff like that. You just walk on two lanes. It's not just that simple. There's actually this checklist of, uh, I, I wrote it out on a notepad just to, and it's actually quite a lot that I actually have to go through because this is this goes in my curriculum when I teach teams on how to play the style, okay. right? You, you need to first be able to read the map. Uh, to determine if you're going to go to mid or if you're going to go to side lanes, right? How you go to mid is one element. How you go to side lane is one element. There's this thing what we call a kill squad, as in, is this going to be a two-man kill squad, a three-man kill squad, and how do you move on the map? And you have to be able to move in a way that enables your jungle to farm at the same time, right? If the jungle is always holding hands with the support, he's not able to farm his camps, and then he tends to fall behind the experience and levels as well. So these are the small little topics that you, you you have to watch as well. And I think that these are the teams that get it, right? 
the the top three. I would say the top five teams because I'm gonna say the SK is team number five at the moment or team number four. That's fair enough. Depending on where you actually want to 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 rank fanatic in all of this, is that uh, I have SK and Mad Lions in, in in the same tier basically. The the two teams are about performing at the same levels, um, to me, but. I would say that these four teams at this point of time, they understand these concepts, right? When it comes to this, uh, how do you how do you deploy the map? How do you maintain the integrity of this? And how you're able to use this movement to disconnect the opponents from it? And then this is this topic, I would say, is where you have the top two teams, which is BDS and G2, separate themselves from uh, Mad Lions and SK, right? Where there's very deliberate movement that you see um, BDS and G2 do that's able to disconnect mid lane from top lane. And it, there's a lot of fights in the LSC that's been happening in this playoffs, but there's just this huge fight that happens on the top side, red buff area of the map. And then that kind of determines the game because one team wins the fight, they then are able to push the mid raven and then uh, translate that in, in, into a Nash, right? Of course, that's ignoring all the other times we just see sure. a, a support player randomly completely inted, and then that converts into to, to a lead for somebody, right? And on top of that, that's sinking the waves uh, when the play ends, which is where I think uh, the LEC teams are a little bit lacking. And this was the thing that I felt that fit the G2 exploit against BDS. Uh, we'll get onto that a little bit later on. And then how does the team play from behind the map? So this is ongoing through side lane. How do you reestablish vision control? And then how do you defend and utilize waves as well? Right, there's all these little, small little optimizations. It doesn't seem like much, and when I break it down, these little steps it seems rather simple. But you you have to have these elements come together to be able to effectively play that style, right? And the teams that have about five or six of these elements, it already shows in the way that they're able to find success, right? And this also kind of ties into why, um, um, we'll we'll, we'll bring it up when we talk about about vitality. But this is the reason why these teams are doing well, because they're able to do five or six of these steps. And in initial steps, when you're learning these sort of things, if you don't have the later steps down, it feels like you're just in thing. And that's the really hard part when it comes to learning this style. So I'm actually very happy uh, with the games that I'm seeing. I know that a lot of people have been saying that the LCS is more exciting and stuff like that, but somebody who just looks at a pure uh, tactics point of view. I actually found the tactics that have been used in the LEC so far to be a lot more interesting right. as compared to what I've been seeing in, in some of the other places, right? And of course, it's going to sound like an insult when I say that this reminds me of when I was watching the LPN 2021, because it says like, it, it feels like it would say, um, it feels like I'm saying that, oh, they're three years behind, right? But that, that was actually the, the style of gameplay that I enjoyed the most before the LPL really went into the JDG. We're going to play this timing attack based play style, right? When Doan B League of Legends was still gripping the LPL very strongly at a point of time. So I'm actually enjoying watching the LEC quite a fair bit. And I feel that the top teams right now are where they are because they understand the correct elements of this and they are able to execute it to a certain degree of competency. Is it the case in your opinion, right? I'm going to say it this way. To me, it's obvious on Mad Lion's side that they must be like a well-coached team. I know part of the storyline obviously was that the Movistar Riders coach came up with those players and obviously he has experience with them and like a rapport and whatnot. But like, if I just look at the way that they win the game, I'm with you. I'm actually shocked at how sometimes they're the ones who make like the right play late in the game. Like, even though, yes, I understand they have experience together and synergy and all that chat. Like, yeah, they are still rookies to the LEC level though. Like, there's one thing I feel like's changed the last few years. I don't know if it's because, like, for example, 
I mean, people have just been in the LEC studio a million times now. And also, you notice for playoffs now, unless it's like a special or one-off summer, they don't have it in a big stadium. They don't have that factor that exists for LCK and for LPL and all that. Like, we have the pressure of the crowd and, you know, is it your first final and the fanfare? And all? They just have it where it's like, it's still the same studio. You played all the other games. You just walk in and, yeah, the different amount of games. But I actually feel like that whole, like, veteran edge at the moment seems like it's gone in LEC. I mean, the obvious joke is if we get to them later. That's why teams like Heretics actually do just straight up struggle now. The big edge that they should have just doesn't exist in the game right now. What do you think on the Mad Lions angle? Like, I mean, essentially the reason I brought up the player strength is I don't, I actually think for both BDS and Mad Lions, we'll get to BDS in a minute, obviously. I actually think for both of them that you're making a mistake if you see how well they've done in terms of record and placing and you think, right, that must be they have the best players. Actually, I think you, the, and if you do so, you're going to take the credit with the people who deserve it, which is the certain key players that are played around. The style is clearly part of what works and especially like coaching in terms of how, here's the way I would describe it, gents. I always think the reason why coaching is very hard to explain to a casual fan in league is they can only look at things that are obvious, like the draft, like, oh, you could have changed champion A for champion B. But what they miss is, in my opinion, most of the best coaching in league is is what we in Counter-Strike we call protocols. Like, it, the reason it's called protocols in Counter-Strike is when you run into the bomb site as the terrorist, you can't know where all the defense is, so you have protocols so that as a team, we take care of the site. Like, for example, believe it or not, the first guy in doesn't check every angle because there wouldn't be time, would they? He's got a quick go so maybe he cynically has two very likely angles as an enemy he checks that and then the second protocol will be the second guy looks on the other angle as he goes in there maybe the third I don't know flashbangs them and then they look away and the idea is you have sort of a check a checklist of things to do as you go in and if you do this right essentially you notice this is why it's well coached this will essentially ape what like just the best team in the world intuitively could do anyway like they already would have this sense of how to play so it's a way to like make a, a scaffolding a structure for a, an amateur team to get the same concept up, right, and in Counter Strike, I can tell you, people do copy those. They 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 learn what the techniques are. So similarly, I often think in league, you obviously can't really sit down, guys, like a fucking football match, and be like, look, this is when you're in this position, you're going to do like. There's too many variables in the league game with champions, comps, what happens in the map, the gold lead, the it's there's so many variables that's almost worthless. So instead, what you are coaching is concepts like what do you do when you have a lead, and this champion has agency. What do you do when the Baron's coming up front you? And you can see the teams that like the teams that get those concepts. And in this case of Mad Lions, dude, they're rookies. Like, I, to me, this has to be a coaching win, this, this result so far. Like, what do you think? Do you have a similar sense? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, at first I was wondering how much of this is just Elias snowballing sure. his, uh, what he knows from that. But then if you see the, the week-to-week progression, uh, there's some things as, as we progress through this checklist, right? They're, they're thinking of more, more checklists. So watching this and it's not it's not just a one player show right or even if it's a player thing the coach who is behind the scenes is definitely enabling him very well to then be able to translate these ideas over to the other players as well and the other thing that people don't get about about coaching it's not just about telling people that oh this is what you're supposed to do you have to let them understand it and see it in the same lens as you right you have to get them to buy into the vision and you have to get them to be able to understand that these are the key factors right a lot of times when it comes to getting players to just explain things they just say that oh this was obvious I have to do things this way and they don't really know how to explain it much further than that, right? Because that's how they internalize it into their, in, into their brain. They took those like large concepts that were taught to them by previous coaches or from their experiences and things like that. They condense it into these shorthands and then when they need to bring that up with other players, they're not necessarily able to express that accordingly, right? 
So that's why when you have players like Whipple, um, um, for example, who who then are put into a veteran role, those are those players bring a lot of value to the team. Uh, is Alioya necessary, necessarily such a person? I've never worked with him. I don't really know enough about the behind the scenes. But the skill of a coach is also sometimes to be able to take and extract the knowledge from a player and then um, decode all those protocols, right, and into those scaffolds accordingly, and then and then reestablish that with the rest of the team. And in this case, uh, whether it's player driven, whether it's coach driven, I have to say definitely hats off to what they have been able to achieve so far. Esports Bet is running its Chinese New Year red envelope frenzy promotion, whereby anyone can get in on this deposit bonus. So what you do is, because it's a promotion, on Esports Bet, you go to the site. Instead of going to Esports, as usual, to get all the bets and all the fixtures and stuff, you see there, Esports Sports. There's one here that says promotion. has a little image of, like, a gift on it. Click on that one. There's all these different promotions you can check out, so it's actually a good page to check out regularly anyway to see what bonuses they have. And you're going to go to this one, red envelope frenzy. You're going click on that one then you're going to go over to here you can see that thing there apply the bonus you're going to make sure you do that contact customer support so you're going to get it all set up and get it all done read all the rules here if you have any queries obviously contact customer support they can explain to you how this one works it's quite simple to explain actually it is a really excellent bonus and as i say anyone can actually get in on this one yes Okay, let's talk a little bit about Fnatic, then we'll do the matchup directly afterwards. So the main thing with Fnatic for me the whole season has been that, like, essentially, the reason I wasn't in on them at the beginning of the season is, one, I I, I actually do think at this point in time, for people like Humanoid, I just have to see how they play. I can't possibly predict how this guy will play. I mean, I've, I've said this on past shows, but he's actually another player that I'm going to do, like, a lot of sort of investigation video and find out behind the scenes, like, what's the story on this guy? Like, what do people think? Because in the few times I've reached out, the joke is even teammates of his past and present tell me like they can't read him they have no idea like does he care does he like to play is he, is he annoyed with they, they can't read him they just say like essentially tell me he's just like blank to them they can't get it so as a result being as in my opinion he is like the X factor of the whole team not just because he's an EU mid laner but his style like the problem he has is I can actually see why he has this let's say for now alleged let's say arrogant personality because obviously when he actually is on his champions by the way the champion pool is slapping him in the face right now with all of his favorite champions when he's on his champions and when he's motivated and he actually has his head together obviously his mechanics are really good there's a reason why people rave about this guy and if you notice he actually does i mean he's a champion to be fair he already has that like league royalty pass in a way that the irony is people like perks don't get anymore that's how you know it's how recently you won that makes people think you're the best because you know how people, even in the past years where Perks was like, all right, still, or like slightly above average at laning, they would be talking like he was 0-10 every game. The joke with Humanoids, he could go 0-10, but as long as like two games later he carries and it's on one of his champions, everyone's like, he's back! It's Humanoid! The fanatic fucking admin will be posting all those memes of him as all the different champions, the three champions he plays in history. We all know the, the jazz. So the problem is, like, I could never predict, like, is this the split where he does it? Like, obviously, like I say, the champion pool almost couldn't be more perfect with what the game is telling you right now is strong. And yeah, he has actually has this has been one of his bounce back splits for me he's been way better than some of the past splits so if this guy's activate then yeah they, they should be top three in fact actually the question should be obviously can they contest BDS maybe they can be in the final again maybe we can have a G2 Fnatic final whereas like coming into the split I have to say I didn't have that at all dudes. I actually thought this might end up being a team that's like fifth place or something because one I obviously hoped certain other teams would be better but also I looked at the squad and it's like it's kind of a cynical off season you just kept four players and then he made I don't know I would say a side grid with a young guy like I actually think as well maybe that hasn't even worked out as well as they hoped but the thing is when you look at the overall season the reason why it sort of worked for me so far is you actually have seen an increase in player performance
performance. Like the Oscar guy does seem to get better and better. I know he just had probably his worst fucking week ever because of that series. But in general, he's been better and better and better. And he actually is like one of the top players now. Raz Orc's mega anyway. I actually think he's ironed most of his issues out. And the bot lane's like, look, here's the thing. At least Noah's like getting a bit better. Like I thought, I actually thought for a while, maybe like he was just a fucking two week wonder when they brought him in last week. He's sort of, he's not that bad now. He's sort of getting it together. So it's like they're quietly coming together for me, Fnatic. Like I can see how they're sort of powering up. And if they can win this game and play BDS, then maybe there is a world where they can actually end up being truly elite. I was just a bit concerned, like that, that like I said, that this like, essentially, like I wasn't that convinced by what they did at Worlds personally. I thought like that wasn't as good a team as I don't remember. That's supposed to be the second best EU team. What do you think of Fnatic at the moment? Like, do you put them in that mix? Because to me, the problem is, like you said about, listen, you did it in a specific context, but for me, G2 and BDS are a step above. So at the moment, the problem I have with Fnatic is, I actually feel like they just carved out their own little spot. Like you've got Mad Lions below them, probably shouldn't beat them. And then you've got Fnatic's like pretty good, but they're not beat, they're not like, they don't play the same team game as BDS and they don't have as good players or the team game of G2. So I don't know how, for me, they're kind of like in an awkward third position, if you know what I mean. That's what I'm sort of expecting from this one. But I'll say it's above what I expected. Like actually, there's, some, there's been some improvement player-wise. Maybe that was a good angle to hold on them as it were what do you think yeah i i think the fanatics team that plays very strongly to mid right where they don't necessarily uh have this uh where they don't necessarily play the, the two lane map control approach but they do enough good things on it as well right where they don't automatically lose to the teams that understand the map control play style so there, there's that that's what's going for them and that's what lets them compete with these other teams that i i feel have done a decent job adopting the, the map control play style and of course, uh, do, this is a contrast to the Mad Lions, right? Where we talked about Mad Lions and we praise them for their ability to build the systems and protocols. Whereas on Fnatic's side, this is a team that is very clearly indexing their early weeks in the season or just when they split into player development, right? Oscar Riddens, um optic solving the mid-jungle problems between Humanoid and, and Razor, and then as well uh, integrating June into the team as well, right? Where this is, I, I would say it's usually a very underrated element of it. It's like integrating a foreign player into the culture of the team is something is a point itself in which so many western teams uh fail on when they oh, have sure. these big important names that come over right so is this is this necessarily uh, although of course it, feel, it felt like i'm ragging them because i don't rate them as because they don't play the two lane play play style at the moment but it's not fair for me to be down on them straight away because i think that their coaches likewise done a similarly good job because you can see that there's improvement they're making the the week-to-week -week progress and you can see that okay once they're done ticking these boxes right then they start to move in their protocols and things like that when they have a better idea of what the meta is going to be looking like when it comes to msi you can even argue that this is a, a more intelligent way to do it as compared to learning the protocols now and then when the spring split comes along and then the qualification for msi comes along where the meta might be different where you might have to play a completely different uh approach or a different um or a different theory of the game is more is is more beneficial to you right then do you ha then have to unlearn these protocols and relearn something else as well so this might be a more uh effective way of doing it there's no one right way to do it because you can also argue that if you learn all the protocols first it sets up a much higher and much larger base for them to add contextual information for your players to then learn on top of that right so in this case, Fnatic, I think they've done a decent job uh, in terms of just going through the checklist. You're seeing the improvement week to week. But um, I, I have to say that in terms of the the, the matchup, the direct hit to hit matchup, I actually feel that the way that they're drafting right now and uh, with where the meta is for Humanoid, 
just being able to pick Corky, being able to pick Azir, you're going to see more of these very close games that they just edge out because they, they have the, the scaling advantage for them, right? It's going to look similar to the, the SK game. And uh, I believe Mad Lions already played Fnatic the first time around, right? Yes. Yeah, they did this for Fnatic. Yeah. And Fnatic won that 2-0. I believe the second game was something where Mad Lions... Um, they played the Jay's Astral composition, and that was where I felt. Yeah, I remember now. That was the Jay's Astral solo laners, and that was the one I was thinking about when I was saying that these Mad Lions players. This is where you really start to see the limits of their player execution come into play, right? When a, a team like Fnatic, they have been put into a losing spot, right? All all three lanes have been pushed in, and then they have the uh, connecting paths between them and top being isolated off. How do they convert from their position? Are they able to hit the skill shots and win the fights from there? And the Fnatic are able to just claw the way back based on pure player skill, right? So these are the things where I actually feel that this is where the, the limits of Mad Lions will, will be shown and where Fnatic will be able to... It's, it's only up from Fnatic from here, right? Whereas for Mad Lions, it's a little bit harder to cap, but you can't make a week to improvement to say that this is how we're going to be beat Fnatic. So I actually think that Fnatic is the, the favorite in this matchup. Yeah, I also do think that, like, another thing that I think for Mad Lions is... In general, the, a lot of the teams they've feasted on so far were the teams that I might think have better players, but they definitely were worse teams. And they just didn't have these protocols. They didn't understand how to play a team. The difference is, I'll also say, I actually also get the vibe in Fnatic. This is pure speculation, but I'm just looking at inferring from past seasons of seeing a similar lineup play. Is, dude, I don't think they're ever going to be a superstructured team in this squad as long as they have Razok and Humanoid. Like, it's not just like that whole thing that we've said in the past years. Like, they don't have synergy. It's more like they just clearly have different visions of the game and in their team I get the feeling like the coach enables the player vision like I think Humanoid gets to do what he wants to do in the game I actually think it's why he can actually be someone where I sort of see the hype from some of the players because I can tell he some of the balls he he just makes that move himself he's like it, it's like a Hillisang fucking angle he just goes for it I don't think that's like pre-planned or I don't think they do like you know 10 seconds before the play like, like come with me now and we're going to go do that I think he just does his moves mate I think the, the thing about him is I think it's like he's like a leader by example as it were and you just follow him and so if people play for him I think they can be a pretty good team so the thing with them is uh, the cool thing is actually why I'm more looking forward to if they can play BDS is I just think it'll be very interesting to see like at the moment it feels like style actually beats player strength right now so actually maybe BDS should beat them and be in the final I think that would be appropriate but at the same time I do think Fnatic has the better star players as it were so I could see a world where if you can individually outperform you could be there I think that one's the more interesting one like I say the Mad Lions one for me I just say well done to Mad Lions you've already got really far like you, should, you shouldn't in my opinion, go any further, but that's okay. Top four is actually very good for what I imagine you spent on the roster, and especially the gambles you've taken. Like, like I mean, I've said it straight up. I don't think mid and AD are even going to be in the LEC in two years, like unless they're just on this team and they just kept them. Like, like as in the obvious example is this isn't. If someone cuts the mid laner tomorrow, who's picking him up? You know what I mean? Try and think of an LEC team, guys, that's actually signing him tomorrow. Like, because the joke is, even people who are going to be like, yeah, but what about like Perks? Like, you would stick with Perks over this guy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it has to be a big fucking a move to get this player in because he hasn't shown superstar level so what about this then let's talk about the other two and then what we'll do is we'll talk about the other ones afterwards so we'll go through the, the bracket foot. so let's go to BDS right the key, th the key thing here is this Jensen is it's funny because people never know my angles you've got to keep track of it there's never one simple angle because people probably think like oh you're wrecked now Thor because you've obviously talked so much shit on Adam and Nook what can you possibly and you said it was all about Crowley what can you possibly do now but what people forget is this I always had one extra arrow kept in the quiver there because I did always say even last year with Crowley going off 
I never thought it was just Crowley guys. Like, because the problem was it wasn't just a guy on a hypercarry shooting everyone in the team fight. Again, I have eyes. Like, he was doing that. But to me, it was also, like, it's so obvious, in my opinion, that the coaches built the game around how he played. And so, one, when I look at this season, they don't build the game around the ADC. Ice's job, my joke, Jensen, is to not be Crowley. It's not to be Crowley or to be better than Crowley. That's not what they wanted. So they've purposely taken a play who doesn't even try to play like Crowley. And the joke is they do play to Adam now. Like when they when they have the right match, they do give him like actually a key's kind of the player they play around instead of the distraction now. So that's all that means. Him, first of all, you completely change your style of the team and who you're playing through. And by the way, they, if anything, they're even better now, even though I actually think player strength went down. Like I actually think the ice guy's not as good as Crowley. It just doesn't matter because this team works. So the key thing is, it's just coaching again. Like I actually think for real, look, the problem with that whole coaching split of staff of the split award is like you could make an argument Dylan Falco should just win it every split no matter who his players are but because he has the best players and the best team people never give it to him so if you're not going to give it to Dylan Falco I think this whoever in strike whether it's striker from Old Carmi Corp or get whatever whoever it is in BDS who's doing the coaching I think they've killed it mate I think this is actually fantastic and unfortunately though this is where I think everyone's feelings are going to get hurt because obviously I have to also think about like on this weekend they're going to play on Monday potentially the final if they get back there and play G2 and I have to say look I hope they won't get battered like they did in the upper bracket final but I think it's going to be the same story again I think they are going to lose because the problem they have is style can take you a long way but when we talk about G2 they have style and the strength of the players guys and then they have transcendent players like fucking Caps and Mickey X who just do shit that shouldn't even be in the game so like the problem with BDS essentially is I will always seem like I'm hating on the players because that's where some of the weakness gets shaded and that's where some of the inexperience comes into play that's when sometimes it fucks up but I actually do think if you look how they play it might be a little bit one-dimensional the style but mate there's very few teams can stop it there's a lot of teams even seem like they're doing that thing that's a nightmare where they're looking they, they can almost see what's happening but they can't stop it from happening to them so actually I give a lot of props to BDS I just mainly do it on the like cerebral side believe it or not it's kind of like the angle that's impressed me like uh, the one player individually I'll say I do think was better was Adam I actually do think he was the best top player this time props to him and not even just on some scam shit of like yeah it's just because he picks all up and down no he actually he's even expanded the champion pool he could, like he was playing the rumble himself he looked good on it so I actually think aside from that upgrade though again I'm impressed that this group of players can be in second can be in the final potentially like I actually think it's a fantastic coaching job where's your take on BDS where you at I'm actually very high on BDS in fact um, a lot of people look at the 0-3 that they lost to G2 and they they want to get off the train at the point of time but uh, from a tactical perspective I actually felt that it was a very outside of the third game right the, the third game they went for like this strange draft and stuff like that I'm not going to think about that too much because sometimes when you're older down in the series, and what actually happens is that I felt that G2 understood what the key weaknesses of G2's macro approach was. So probably that's why they changed up their approach going to game tree. And then you ended up with this very strange brand draft that they kind of like fell apart and seems going up against the, and like Daisy was beating up, uh, beating them up in every team fight and stuff like that, right? So I'm going to ignore game three for the purposes of this, this, this analysis here. But just looking at the first two games, I actually felt that tactically speaking, um, that was a very close series between the, the, the two teams. And it was a, it was like, um, was, when you watch the EPL, right, sometimes there are certain teams where they prepare very specific tactics. And then all of a sudden, because they understood that there are these key flaws in the opponent's approach towards the game, uh, there are these key flaws towards the opponent's structure, they are then able to see, you then see like these 5-1 goal differences happen, like say between a Manchester United and a, and a Liverpool and stuff like that, right? Or Liverpool versus Manchester City, where it's like a 3-1 between two top teams, right? Does that mean that one team is very definitively better than the other? 
No, it just means that one of these teams understood a key tactical weakness okay. in their opponent's approach and were able to exploit it and were able to exploit that effectively. So if we were to go back to this um, checklist of like items that you have to have uh, nailed down, right? When it comes to playing this tool in play style, when it comes to uh, then snowballing lead, right? So what are the protocols that BDS should have when they get a free pick on the map? I don't think they do that well enough. That's something that G2 understands as well. So they committed to playing this uh, one true on playstyle with the Twisted Fate top in the first game. And I, uh, what they played top in the second game? But I, I don't really recall, right? But they were very committed to playing the split push style of gameplay because they, they knew that there was. Oh, the second game was the Nav versus Yasuo one where they did the counter. Yes. Right. Where where they're just going with these compositions that don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily uh, make sense against any other team, right? Like he's pulling out all these champions, they're very strong inside, they're committing very heavily to these split push compositions, and they're able to execute it because they know that they can then do a the shy or the or the bounce, right? Where they can just int away their life to put in the extra wave, and BDS will not be able to then capitalize on their lead accordingly when they have a 5v4 presence on the map. Which they did show, right? That they had this free pick on broken on broken blade, they then popped the Harrow top lane, they extended the play for way too long on the top side of the map. And as a result of that, they actually ended up being behind on the map when everything was done, despite getting a free pick in the top side of the map to begin with. So this was something that I looked at, and I actually felt that there was a lot of brilliant, uh, brilliant plays that came through from uh, BDS as well, like the way they were setting things up, uh, especially the, the lane swap that they, that they did in game two to swap the top side of the map, secure all six void drops, and then be able to trade the top tier one using the void grab advantage and then be able to start to open up the map, right? They chose to fight the Harrow. I think that that was probably where the, the, the seam started to fall apart. But if we were to just take the components of what we see, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of promise, there's a lot of intelligence in the way that they do things and they have the player capacity to execute on those things as well. So I definitely say BDS is like one or two steps away from being able to contest with G2. And when they do have to rematch in the finals, right? Uh, which I, I think it seems likely it's going to happen. Yeah, sure. Right. Yes. Uh, if they're able to sharpen those weaknesses, they realize that, okay, this is how G2 exploit us the last time around. These are the changes that we have to make. I actually say those, I actually think that those are make or changes where we actually have competitive finals. No, I know what you mean. I actually think the funny thing about that upper bracket final is every pleb who just looked at the scoreline or watched game three is going to go like, oh my God, it's just they completely dominated them. There's no chance at all. And it's like, actually, that's another fucking coaching staff win. Like BDS all year long didn't look like that in the early game. Like actually that looked like, like you say, that they identified some things they could attack and make some plays and it would give them a chance. The problem they had was they're just playing a much better team. Like I don't even diss them for that one. Like I say, if I actually don't think the rest of the players outside of Adam are like the best players, then why would I expect them to beat G2? They are the best team and the best players. Like, like they deserve that spot. So one thing I have, have to ask you is this. How do you think um, BDS plays in terms of like, one thing I notice Monty often points out and I see his angle is that like, it looks like with Nook, and I've got a sense from talking to their coaching staff, this is the case. It looks like with Nook, they almost do what they do in T1 with Faker, where, you know, people always say like, ah, oh, Faker has no champion pull. It's like, yeah, but if you look at the way their team goes and the joke is everyone says Faker was the secret T1 coach, it looks like he does that intentionally to just make the draft like a flow chart, basically. Because since you know he's going to play like these three champions if they're available, you just know that every comp comes out 
out of that. And if you notice, they tend to be the ones that enable his style of play, like to do a flank or to do some crazy movement. So I've noticed with this team, like the joke is, you won't see, no, it, like right now, if you watch Humanoid play Corky, you'll be like, fuck, I just remembered how strong Corky is. You'll never see Nook on that champion. It just, it's like, they're just playing this small little pool. But I tell you what, they, they know which ones to pick and they know how to make it work for their team. And also, by the way, it makes the Nook guy look better. He just sticks to his strengths. He doesn't have to go outside his will. I actually think, like I say, I think even though some elements might look cynical, I think this is actually, in my opinion, I've always, there's another thing about coaching since you've done so much of it, I'll bring you into one. I've often said this when I've talked to people behind the scenes. People think coaching is like sitting back and going, I've just figured out their whole trap, like Yu-Gi-Oh or something, and we're going to destroy it. No, from what I've seen, a coaching often is things like that. It's like compromise. It's like, right, so I've got an issue where like I could do all these things here, but can this player do it? And how do I streamline it so it makes sense for another player? And I'll tell you what, when you've got these less experienced players like this, I think actually running a simplistic approach like this is a great... Like you can see the players get it now, mate. They, they actually can make the decisions from within these points in the game. I agree they couldn't do it against G2, but against everyone else, spoiler, I will, you know, I think they'll be back in the final. I think they will do this against Fnatic and they will win the series. Yeah. What do you think I mean, of the coaching angle? I, I I definitely agree with that, right? Like being able to simplify things down. It also makes it simpler to 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 then identify that um a lot of times, especially in a in a game like Lee with um it's there's this phrase that I have, it's called know your job, do your job, right? And when you're able to simplify things down, you reduce the number of options that you have, it actually makes it easier for you to know what job what your job's supposed to be in this case. And for a team like um for, for a team like BDS, where they have Adam who's playing uh, all the champions that are we would say they're fairly resource reliant, right? In the past it was very it was very volatile, now I think he's shorted up more or less, and he knows very clearly how he can use that to convert leads accordingly. So you want a mid laner that can then exit the necessary pressure to then link up with the jungle to help that to, to help that convert. Uh, I think the comparison between Ice and Crowny is uh is a little bit unfair because of where, where the meta is at this point of time, right? Where Crowny was playing, the, there was like Zeri meta, Jinx meta, and, and all the kind of things, whereas now it's a lot more uh Aphidos is a lot is much more sustained. He is a hyper carry, but he's a very self-sustaining, uh very self-sustaining hyper carry. Or you can have something like uh or this is currently Ferris Jin. This is one of the teams that has a lot that's have that has have had a lot of success playing Jin as well. Yes. And Jin is a champion that's very good at playing this dueling play style, right? Because these champions, when you play various in Jin, you don't actually need lots of farm to win the team fights. You just need to show up and hit the spells at the right time. And then you contribute some amount of damage. If you have more items, that goes up by like 20% or something. And by virtue of you hitting your spells is what is going to win your team the game. And being able to play those champions and power those and sorry, and having those champions be in the meta is what I think is allowing BDS's two-lane uh, approach to do, to do so well, right? And of course, this is where it might be a perfect storm kind of things as well, but they have this top laner who sometimes doesn't run TP, so he's always forced to have the whole uh, kill squad to be behind him, so that he's guaranteed to not get isolated on a point and get picked off, and then he's responding with a TP in a bad scenario and, and all that kind of things. But, um, sorry, it's a little bit all, all over the place, right? But I, I do think when it comes to, to coaching for this team, um, it's the same thing that I've always said. When it comes to BDS, this is a team that the coaches, uh, be it by design or by or true restriction, they've found the right answers to the problem, right? That Adam has this unique champion pool. Some people say that, oh, that's a problem, right? He only plays all these janky things. And he definitely has shorted that up as well. So if that was a part of the coaching efforts as well, drops to that. Uh, but at the same time, being able to utilize that as well and not just transform him into any other top laner is also a coaching art, right? 
how do you use the, the intricacies and the, the eccentricities of the players and transform them into strengths that your team can use as well? Also, by the way, just as a little aside, because if you ever want to Google it, you can look this up, it's fun. The guy who is the head coach of this team, who used to be the old Carmine Corp coach back in that year when they had Reckless, is Striker, right? And if people don't know, he is so based. This is why I actually have Loki love this guy as a coach. He is so based that when he left the fucking Carmine Corp team, he openly flamed Reckless and talked about what a bad player he what teammate he was. You can go look it up. It's like there's like a translation from like a little stream he did on stream. So by the way, if you don't know, there's loads of people those stories but very few people have the ball to actually say that publicly so what it tells you about this guy and also this is the guy now who's chosen to bench fucking Crowdy move on from him shift the whole focus to the top lane by the way I'll even say this myself even though I can talk to him and I know this little guy a little bit even I thought that's just a fucking nepotistic move isn't it you've just done it because he's French whereas you just don't give a fuck about Crowdy because he's from like I don't know Slovenia or some fucking weird country isn't he so like to me that even looked like I have to say they were right because here's the thing about Adam I have to say this is one of those ones where fans will always get it wrong if they want watch these shows and they hate on a take I have because their take will be like what the hell if I go back like to 2021 and Adam came into the LEC because remember that split he came in where Bwipo roll swapped to jungle right and they were all saying all these pleb fans and French fans like, he's already the best top laner and obviously the joke is I've now spent years going he isn't but now I'm saying he is right in 2024 yeah here's the analogy guys that's like you seeing a student go to year one of school and then you go wow he's graduated already he's top of his class and I'm like isn't he just he just started and then at the end of school five years later he does graduate and i go well congratulations on graduating and you go idiot you should have said that five years ago it's like no no it's the other way around i'm right i'm right and you're wrong like you know the part where you said one split in he was the best no no he wasn't like it took like three years or something like now I actually give it to him because here's the thing before even when he did well everyone dismissed it as a meme because of the champions because he was playing those gods champions that like the joke is they're barely even played in solo queue to this day some of those champions so like no one thinks they're actually viable whereas so in my opinion at that point in time the best case scenario was he was going to sort of be a POE power of evil type you know I play my own little weird meta and if it's the meta maybe I could be a leader you could also say as well if you know if it's my meta I'm the one you want on the team but if it isn't then you know you probably want someone else no this guy actually is no longer a meme whether you think he's the best or not like maybe you're like broken blade because of the zach pick now or something there might be or maybe you want irrelevant irrelevant actually was a fucking stud in that series against fact there's a couple of other really strong players the difference is adam is not a meme at all now he actually is just a really good top player like he's certainly still listen i think he'll always have those flaws quite frankly about things like wave management or how aggressive he plays it's just who he is but i'll just throw two things out there one i can't love the shy and then turn around to adam and go what are you doing like the shy did that shit even in world championships guys like he didn't get he was the most abusive top player ever and then secondly the difference is now I actually think his style of play looks even better now because they play the team to him before like I always used to say Monty did this thing where he gave him too much credit well I know the coaches think of this way but there's no way Adam was Monty used to do that thing of like and Adam's sure soaking the pressure so Crowdy gets the isolated 2v2 I'm like Monty you're too kind of these motherfuckers he's not he really thinks it's solo queue and he's pushing him in like he's trying to like flex on the other top player but the difference was that meant as a result if the other team ever did figure out how to like match that you could just feed him you could get kills fed top lane all day long that doesn't happen now guys like actually there's way less of those like massive blunders that I used to see where it looked like oh you fucked the whole lane in the game up here like what the hell like you had to play so, like this guy's actually just legit now like what do you think of this player because I know he's obviously like from personality some of the drama there's reasons why people are going to like or hate him either way but just as a pure player if we took the name plates off what do you think of Adam? I think it's I, I I concur with a lot of, uh, with a lot of 
what you're saying, right? He's where he's where Merlin is. Uh, he was where Merlin is where he was. Yes, that's a good analogy. Yeah, right. So where, when you're just starting out, and I think that this is a very natural progression for a lot of Dubliners to have, right? And I think that Adam was probably uh, what accelerated the staff football on, on his team when they first started on, on Fnatic, and someone who's, who helps him and points out to him that this is what it means to play your lane to par, right? Where this is something that I actually look for quite a fair bit when I when I look at assessing players, right? There's not so much about how often you win your lane, but how reliably you execute your lane to par, right? right. So a player who wins his lane half the time, but the other half the time he's executing it below par and creating fires for his jungler, right? That, that's the term that people use these days, that the, that the jungler has to not come and put out. That's a player that's actually, I, I would say that this guy's a liability, right? Because every time he creates a fire for my jungler, he's actually messing up the entire game plan. Whereas if you're able to execute lane to par, then that's something that your jungler can then make plans around. The team can then, then make plans around. And over time, I think uh, Adam is someone who went from this like super volatile, play all these janky things, and then you're forced to just go to his lane, which is where the, the level of compromise came in, right? But the coaching staff knew that, okay, this is what's going to happen. We have to send these resources here, or else he's going to end, right? And they were able to cover for it accordingly. And... Over time, he's been able to find a high level of consistency as well, right? So in, instead of being a, a player that's, let's say, out of 10 games, he wins lane twice, and then the other five times he needs the jungle to cover for him unnecessarily. I would say that that has gone up to about, he wins lanes about uh, three times out of 10, but then it's about six of the times, um, maybe six is a bit generous, but say five of those times, it's, it's a stable, executes lane to par, and it's only two of those times where the overaggression then kicks in again, and then, wait, is that the shy or is it the spy, right? Sure. By the way, that is also something as well. That's how you know that Adam's actually, like I say, in the in the school metaphor, he's graduating, he's moving up to a level, and now he's almost like ready to go on his own. Because I also do think, for real, the reason why top lane is the most misunderstood role, that's why I actually think it's so dope that Dom started playing it, and so I've noticed his like, understanding matchups got way better on stream. Because the thing I've always thought people don't understand about that role is, unlike mid and AD, that's not a thing where like winning the lane is the most important thing. Like If you look at even some of the champions classically, obviously something like, nah, it's, not even, it's more like just don't get so fucked in lane that you can't do anything. Like Basically, it's about being useful. So my problem before was I did think he played a bit like Solo Kuni. He just tried to like accelerate the lane. And he thought he was like the shy on fucking Jace three years ago. And it's like, I'm just going to have set 12 kills in the games. Like, that, that's not happening unless you are the shy, by the way. That's why he was the one who was allowed to do that. Like If you're a normal player, it's about, look, get a kill, lose a kill, but be useful. Like Be in the team fight later. Be able to do things with your shot. Have an item. Have Be able to use a fucking ult in an interest to win. He's also leveled up in that regard because... I did used to think back in the day, the difference was the reason why I could always default to my boy Odo Amni as like the elite top laner. It's because I know what he's going to do in a team fight. He knows exactly what his job is. He knows the classic peel style. Like he doesn't matter if he gets, if he's down three kills in lane, he will definitely be useful in this team fight and he will do his job. He's not going to carry the game. So that's also, I think the struggle of Adam is he's also, if you notice, we talked about earlier, the role of top lane has mega leveled up in Europe. I thought it was ass the last few years, mate. It was really, really poor. And there's a, that's one of the reasons why I knew they have no chance against the Asian team because we knew people like 369 have been out there ready fuck the joke is there's people who didn't go to Worlds guys like Arley who would fucking clap some of the Westerners so hard if he ever played you so to me top lane's not only way better but the reason the BDS is cool is dude they're a team that actually play two top lane I think how rare that is in Europe like the joke is if we're going to talk about G2 in a minute I actually think low-key broken blade's got the easiest job in LEC right now I think sometimes he can have like an off game and just chill and like it, joke is I used to say Reckless was the passenger he gets to just be the passenger mate. he gets to 
is chill sometimes. And he'll just have Cap super smurfing. Yike just making everything possible. Potlin just wins outright or wins in draft. Like, the difference is Adam's actually properly played to. This is almost like LPL-esque, the way they just played to this guy and his strong picks. Like, I'm kind of impressed. It's quite unique for me. What do you think? Of course. I mean, I mean the fact that they're playing this two-lane play style, the fact they're playing through the top lane, like uh, being able to play two lanes, a very big predicament of it is that you, sorry, not predicament, a very big prerequisite of it is that you need to have very strong solo laners, right? Because these are the solo laners who are then able to achieve the, the topic of being able to defend the wave. If you're weak and you're playing like a Orn or something like that, right? There's an Azure on the opponent team, the Azure is just going to walk up to you and create a wave in your face, right? He's going to disrespect you. But so you need to be able to play these champions where the mage walks within 600 range of those minions, you're able to then jump on them and then beat them off and then your team is there to back you up when it comes to that, right? So of course, you're going to need a top lane that has got a very uh, different champion pool as compared to people who are used to doing the Azure Corky man and then play the, the tanks in the top lane and then play the scaling front to back team fight kind of playstyle. Because this is about being able to defend the wave, force the opponent to catch it under the turret, move into the opposing jungle, and then be able to take those fights. So that requires them to, to be able to play this. Uh, and this is where his style champions are very effective, right? You walk too close to the Garen, you walk too close to, to the Davis, you're getting jumped on, you're getting worked by these champions that are, that are taking ghosts as well. So um, I, I have to say that it... It is it is it is impressive to watch, and the fact that they are able to execute on this style, which is also very LPL esque, in being able to then push in one lane, reset, use the fact that they have established vision on the south of the map to then extend the lane lead over there, while they then start on the other south of the map. I think it's uh it's why when when I watch BDS play, it, it's it's like what I mentioned earlier, right? It's like watching when doing the League of Legends was as what what is, was at its peak through from 2019 to 2021. For a limited time only, by depositing 100 USDT, a user can receive an extra 100 USDT, 100,000 ESC, the esports coin that you can make bets and predictions with and convert into other cryptocurrencies. And you will also get a risk-free bonus quarter on any League of Legends spring tier one game, which is essentially guaranteed cashback. So that particular feature needs to be redeemed first. This is why you also contact the customer support. It's essentially like a risk-free bet. And that only applies to the tier one region. So that applies to the LCK, LPL, LEC, LCS, and actually to the PCS spring season. So you can see all these different bonuses you get. This isn't like a first-time deposit bonus. Everyone who's a user can, in theory, apply this once to celebrate the Chinese New Year and enjoy this red envelope frenzy with eSports bet. Right, if we talk a bit about G2, the funniest thing about this team to me is, I know everyone on paper, like even I had them as, they should be the number one team. Like, that's a great example of sticking with the same roster. Like, the joke is, if I even try to think of a, a roster move, the only one I would have maybe done is maybe bring Yankos back, but that's it. That's just some nostalgia speaking. And the joke is, if anything, Yank has gotten better and better every split. That's looks really good right now. Again, another player who in that metaphor, look, he hasn't graduated yet, but he's, he's fucking going through the years. He's top of his class. Yeah, there you go. There's the metaphor, right? He's killing it. And I have to say, the thing with this team is they're not, like I said, they're not just the best. Well, here's what's funny. In the BO1s, they looked a bit sus. They did have those moments where it's like, fuck, what's going on? Are they just falling it in? Like, is this actually the team? Where's the early game? It doesn't matter. In these playoff brackets, like, they've just gotten to their absolute best again. The players look really strong. Like, Caps look fucking better than ever in that last series, arguably. But the key thing for me in this team is, it's like they have... They, the joke is they have like the best players, and it's really hard to match them in player strength. Stylistically, they're one of the best. And then lastly... 
you, you can get into this in a minute if you want, but like, mate, Dylan Falco is actually, he is playing Yu-Gi-Oh when he plays fucking draft, mate. This guy is a genius, like for real. Like you look at some of the shit that his team is playing. Mate, they play the meta champions and then they just play shit like, right, we also play Ivan and Zach. Oh, and by the way, our Zach is a flex. Oh, wait, Kasanti, that's also a flex for Like, give me a break, mate. Like, these are, like, Kasanti is busted as fuck and they, they flex it between the two solo laners. Like, the, 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 the extra edges that they get from then the coaches stuff. It's like, fucking hell, like, this is a really strong team, actually. Like, the cool thing is now they've powered up in playoffs. Like, I'm not as scared about the fact that the rest of the LEC is shit. This team just looks really good no matter who they play, mate. Where are your thoughts on G2? Where are they at? I definitely adopt him in Europe, right? There's only one time in my career that I've ever felt that I was going to win, and that's when that I was going to win 100% for sure. It's when I was coaching in uh, Oceania, and we were able to do the same things as well, where we're able to take all these cell things, there's all these pocket picks, and then when we went into draft there, right, people only have like three options, but we were choosing from like the entire pool basically an entire pool for League of Legends, right? That people don't know what we're going to show up with and they aren't really expecting us to do that. It's simply because we are operating on a higher level uh, than them completely. So it doesn't really matter what champions we're picking because they're not going to expect it because they don't see the game on the same dimension that we're seeing it. So it's not its not even like he's playing Yu-Gi-Oh, right? It's the whole, it's the whole like you're playing checkers and playing chess kind of meme here when it comes to Dylan Falco. So this is my case as to why Dylan Falco is coach of the split. We can praise all these coaches for being able to establish these protocols and help the team learn the six out of the 10 topics, seven out of the 10 topics. How about a coach that knows all 10 of all 10 out of 10 topics, has been able to teach his team that, sees that these are the missing topics that these teams have not been able to utilize, and then is able to exploit those topics, right? How about that? I take that guy over any of these other guys any day out to be, regardless of how strong his players is. Because what he did in that, I would say it's a technical masterclass against BDS, to say that Broken Nube has been playing all these like the janky, Kasante, Zach, and all these type of things up to this point. What do we do? Game one, Twisted Fate. Game two, Yasuo. What are we doing? We're not team fighting. We're just actively running away from the opponents and playing the split push style because we see that there are these holes in their gameplay, right? And that is, in itself, better than being able to build, build these protocols. This is, this, this is what you said, right? It's the Yu-Gi-Oh moment, right? It's like, I've seen your weakness, right? And yes. then you see the ice ball shattering around it. It's like the anime cutscene and stuff like that. No, because I even think the joke is, he is the ultimate coach that I've seen, where what he does is, it's like the joke is, it's like a classic old school cartoon mouse trap where there's an obvious massive trap with that big juicy piece of cheese. Like, remember the premise is the mouse is just too obsessed with the cheese to notice the trap until it's too late, isn't it? Like, he's so good, bro, at like leaving something up in the draft that he knows they want. It's the power pick they want or it's what makes their comp. He lets them take it, but in doing so, he then gets like the counter comp or like he has like the fucking winning lane against the one that they need to get. He's too good at it, mate, because he's... What that implies to me, as you're saying, is it's not just like he identified their strong and this champion. He's built it like into his logic of like, how am I going to like give them that to make sure they don't get something else or give me something better? And if you do that, here's the other thing. Good coaches, they might hope to do that once. He'll just have drafts where he does that like three times and then by the end you can tell the other coaches like, oh, damn it, if I'd known that, I'd have never done the first fucking pick. But it's too late, they've sort of painted themselves into the corner and at the end the joke is, like I'm saying, right? That's just draft. It's like, I don't want to be like LS and be like, game's over after draft. But the joke is, if he can draft like that and then he's got better players and a better coach, like you're in bad luck when you actually enter the server. Like it's hard to win that game. And then let's go to some of the players, mate, because what's funny is I actually think Rich's wrath nailed this. At the beginning of the split, I actually thought this was one of the ropiest like starts I've seen for Caps in ages, mate. He was having a couple of games that were like, holy shit, is he... I'm not saying he's washed, but like, it, 
That's like the superstar quality gone. Because remember, I always think of this. This is a different way I think of esports than other people. To me, I know that like Korean and Chinese players don't watch the LCK or the, L the LEC or L the LCS. They might pretend they do. They don't, guys. But I'll tell you what. I could believe that if they saw like the final was going on and it was like G2 Fnatic, like a classic matchup they think they know from the past, they might tune in and think, hey, how's Caps doing? I've played against him before. Like, he, isn't he supposed to be really good? And they'll probably take a sense, I imagine, from how he does of how strong Europe is or the West, right? So I bet if they tune in for those games, they'd be like, holy fuck, it's going to be easy. Worlds is going to be a cakewalk. That, that player is gone. That, he fucking leveled up in these playoffs, mate. Like, I think some of his peaks in the playoffs were like as good as ever. Like, he looked at his fucking smurfing. Like, it's why he will always be, in my opinion, like the ultimate cheat code. Like, think about all the other things I just described about G2. Well, they could have none of those things and this fucking guy could just turn up and win you a random game anytime he feels like it. Like, the guy's just too good. He's <laughs> too good, isn't he? I mean, this is this is kind of why I'm hoping that uh, a part of me wants to see the Fnatic G2 rematch one more time, right? Where this is where you, you would see players who are leveling up, then go up against a G2 who has been able to snowball whatever advantages that they have been building from the past year into this year. So uh, a lot of these teams, when it comes to that, we talked about BDS, we talked about uh, Mad Lions, right? These teams, when you're up against G2, they're going to make G2 look good because G2 is going to put themselves in these positions where they can let their player quality shine as well in comparison to what is being presented on the other side of the map, right? Nuke is good at what he does, but when it comes to uh, being able to pressure uh, pressure caps the way someone like Chovy might be able to, that's not going to be Nuke, right? Uh, could Humanoid do it? Possibly. We, well, when it comes to Humanoid, it's always the, the Dr. Jackal, uh, Mr. Hyde yes. show, right? Yes. So we, we're always hoping that the, the right side of Humanoid shows up, and then that is where we might be able to, to contest that. It's very hard to get a read on where G2 is going to end up, because uh, like what I mentioned, they are just playing the game on a different level at the moment. They see the game in an extra dimension that these other teams at LSE are not seeing at this point of time. So when they do, it's only when they do play against the Asian teams, then we get to have a good idea of, okay, this is where they actually stack up, right? And uh, this is why I actually have hope for G2 uh, this year as compared to G as compared to last year, right? Because last year I just felt that they were just another European team, but just with better players. But this is a, this is the year where I can see that, okay, there, there are these additional dimensions they're putting to, into the game that were present that uh, resembled what they had in 2019. I'm not saying that this is the same 2019 G2 on that level just yet. The jury's still out on that, right? Because they still have to prove it that these ideas that they're representing in the game right now, their ability to catch on to these mistakes are able to be applied to the Asian teams as well. And I have to say that not all these Asian teams are playing 100% perfect, right? Oh, sure. That's, some, that's, um, that's the boogeyman that a lot of uh, Western analysts use as well, right? But they just assume these Asian teams still yes. play perfect as well. They are in the process of going through and learning all these elements at the same time, especially for those that are not necessarily starting with the same set of players or even shifting to a different paradigm altogether. And uh, I would say there's definitely links for G2 to, to do some damage at MSI, but until they actually do it, I have to see to believe it, right? Yes. No, that's also the other thing we were talking about on the Summoning Insight, but I also, I, Monty has the same take, which is like, this G2 does deserve to be considered a top 10 team in the world. Like, if you put this team, even though normally it's a nightmare, like, hypothetical, if you did put this team into the LCK or the LPL, you gave them, like, time to acclimatize to the country and all that, like, they actually could be in the playoffs, guys. Like, they'd be like, like, in the LCK, the joke is they could be, like, the fourth best team or the fifth best team. In the LPL, I also think, actually, they'd, they'd, be, a, they'd be, like, a top 6-7 team, at least. Maybe better, who knows? Like, I, I'm with you. I actually think this, the funny thing is, I feel like because the year after the super team, 
They went to the reckless one that didn't work that was supposed to be a super team. And then after that, they went to Flackhead and Targamas, which obviously just wasn't a super team in the traditional sense. I feel like people almost don't give this lineup enough credit. Like, if G2 2019 didn't exist, this is a super team. Like, these players all are and have been in past it contenders for the best in their role. And together, they work. It's a super team that works. So I almost feel like that does get, like, shaded down a little bit. It's why the real shame is, and this is, this is what will happen any time, by the way, you have a transcendent team in region, is everyone is just always in the shadow of G2 2019, aren't they? It doesn't matter how good you are, essentially. And it's also worse now, in my opinion, that the difference in the modern day is because you've changed the world's form. It's also going to be harder to do what they did now. Like, actually, before, it's not like they ever got lucky, but you could, in theory, have gotten easier opponents. You could have gotten, like, a lucky round of eight draw. That doesn't exist anymore. It's all, like, killer teams in the playoffs now. You've seen that, like, NRG from that. Like, there was no team you could draw that you could beat at that point in time. So I feel like people actually are a bit unfair in that sense. I mean, the obvious analogy I could give to you is, I've no doubt this is what haunted all those J team and all those squads after fucking Flash Wolves. It's like, Flash Wolves basically were too good in terms of how they did internationally. And it was actually unfair to expect people like 4-4 with a totally different team to come in and do that. Like, as far as we can tell, that was just one unique set of players, like the G2 2019 one. That was those brilliant players of Sword Art and Carcer and Maple and all the ones we remember. But when it wasn't those players, the region couldn't be expected to go to that level. So actually, I'm with you. If anything, this G2 is almost the closest you get. Like, I actually feel like there's a chance. There is a chance they can do something. It's going to be, you have to, you're going to have to be a dark horse. But hey, there's a world they could make like quarters and have a chance to win a series against someone. I think it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know Esports Bet is also offering an exclusive promotion for LFN fans, Last Free Nation? This is the one to get in on. So what you do is you go to the promotions tab here. And whereas before I was doing the red envelope one, you've got to go to this one, the 100% first deposit bonus. For this one, Esports Bet is running a deposit bonus where you can receive a 200% bonus to the maximum amount of 200 USDT or equivalent in another cryptocurrency. Sign up at Esports Bet for more details and you can see all the information there. It's basically a way to get more out of your deposits or get more with your crypto at Esports Bet. All right, let's do some of the other teams then. Obviously, now the other teams are all eliminated. So if anything, this is for this split, sort of our deci decisive final statement until we see them play again. So we'll just go backwards. So you mentioned it earlier. I do want to ask about SK Gaming because I feel like, mate, this if I'm going to give props to people like Mad Lions for overperforming, one of the reasons why is because of teams like SK. Like, this is a team where I actually thought, some of it is the early weeks, I will say, sort of, teasing me. Mate, this team blue balls me big time because I actually do think they were capable of more. Like, there was times this team looked clean, mate. And I even looked at, like, the way they integrated Isma, the rookie jungler. I will say, you saw he was a rookie towards the end. He sort of had some moments where he looked hesitant or he had his big problems. But again, early on, they were making it work. The whole Niski thing, I'm with Monty on this one now. You do have to state, every time you mention Niski, you have to point out that while on the same time he can make the game-winning players and the amazing, he also will seemingly in every series sprinkle in just like a game-losing player. Like, he'll just give you one out of nowhere. The joke in this last series was that mental teleport, like... That fight actually would have been fire if he'd... If you ever watch on the map, guys, there's actually a fucking ward just above where Fnatic even is on that fight. And, like, if he actually teleported behind them then, they just collapsed. I'm pretty sure they'd win that fight. But he did that stupid teleport, like, one meter in front into the minion because he must have just been looking or he's misclicked the mini map or something, you know? Like, that's the problem with this team in general, mate. It's like, I feel like they were too inconsistent. This is, like, the ultimate example for me of a streaky team because I actually think the irrelevant guy is cracked, mate. I'm just convinced with this guy. I've seen this... Here's another player that I feel like every split I've watched him in LEC gets better but I, he's got better to the point now mate where I actually think he's better than this team like I think it's I, I don't know if it's just the whole he's German and SK is a German team angle he's just comfortable there he's at home or whatever but I think this guy should be on a contender I, mean, I think he looks fucking
fucking amazing. I thought he was a banger in that series. So, like, there are things about this team I really like. Exa Kick in his own context can be very good. I will say, I think I'm a bit more critical of Exa Kick because I watch the LPL. Like, I do see some fights where he doesn't do that shit. He doesn't carry it. He doesn't get, take his lead and do what I want. So, as you can see, there's like these areas where everywhere I'm getting a little something from most. There's only really DOS I'm not a big fan of. Aside from that, like, there's something with all these players and then you put them together, there's something there. I even know there's no way they spent a massive budget. This has to be like quite a clever min back. So, there's so much to like about this team. But then the odd problem is, I also can't rely on them. They'll let, they will let me down. They, like, I, like I say, in a sane world, I thought this should be the team playing Fnatic now in a different bracket, obviously, for fourth place. I think it would be making more sense to me if SK was fourth place than Mad Lights. Where are you at on SK? I feel this is a tricky team to analyze, mate. Uh, I mean, when I last came on the show, I did say that I think they were they were finished fifth or sixth, right? As they do every. Well, you got that one, okay, and, fair play. Yeah, and that's that that, that's where they ended up again once, <laughs> right? It's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, the, the history books show that that's where they always end up. So it's not it's not a very radical guess as to where they're going to end up, and uh, uh, as to as to as, but with regards to your statement as to could they be in where Mad Lions is right now? It is a strength or schedule thing, right? All the bracket panel and all the other things. Yes, you can argue is how they finish in the regular season, sure. but they both finish five and four, yep. right? So it's really a, it's a matter of a luck of the draw, yes. right? If they played against Mad Lions opponents, they would have been where Mad Lions. It does seem now. like it, doesn't yes. it? Yeah, yes. They would have lost to Fnatic as well, but uh, this is why I say that those two teams are basically equivalent in my rankings, right? Like Mad Lions and SK are the same, and I would say that from watching their gameplay and their macro push to the game, I would say they, they tick the same boxes and they're missing the same check boxes as Mad Lions as well in terms of their understanding of this map control approach that they are uh, trying to play as well, right? Niski, I think, is very, very known for being a uh, someone who was very inspired by the way the Dota B plays. And I think he's trying to to translate the style over to what SK is doing. And they also have a start at the top lane, right? Irrelevant has been playing really well. The Jax has been great. The Rumble has been great. I think that those were the two standard performances that, that come to mind. And uh, he's something that the team can comfortably play through as well. Uh, but it always comes into the rest of the team. There's all these missing topics that they have in terms of the overall uh, team structure. And when it comes to really having the firepower to power through, if Niski is always going to be playing uh, the, the supportive style, right? I know he's been playing a lot of Azir to split, but he's, um, if he's going to be playing the, the, the supportive role to the team, then Exekick really needs to have his uh, work cut for him, and he really needs to be able to step up to the plate to really do the damage, right? So that's why I really have them in the same category as, as Mad Lions, where they have like these one or two bright spots in the team. They have this team structure that gets them about 40% of the way there, but they lack the firepower to really cross the line. Right. The obvious question I have is this, right? One thing I'm a little bit interested in with this squad is, like I say, when I actually look at how it ended, I do think that, like, I can give the Isma guy a pass. Remember, guys, he was the Movistar Riders jungler, if you don't know. So, like, first of all, I feel bad for him because he's the only person who never was going to get that promotion because fucking El Yoya's sat there. And he is Spanish. He's the king of jungle and he's a Spanish player. So you already had no chance there. But then you go and look, man, he's really actually, like, fucking short his worth in this team. Like, he's been good. And as much as everyone does that thing of, like, it's the Niski effect. Like, Niski doesn't actually transform, like, dead. He's not Frank can say, doesn't transform dead bodies into good players. You have to be good already. Like, maybe then he can enable you more, make you better. But, like, spoiler, like, Elioyadniski is Elioyad not banging without him. I think, I'm pretty sure he's great. Uh, did Blabber, did he struggle? No, they, if you're good, Isniski can enhance it, or maybe he can take you to that next level. Maybe he can show you some map things and how you interact. But at the end of the day, you've got to be good too. So the Isma guy, to me, showed me enough already. I'm like, wow, I'm actually impressed. And obviously, with a player like that, if it's your first split, 
hey, you know what? You've got two more splits, then we've got the season. You've got time to bounce back, mate. You can have a little bit more of a stable one next split. Next thing you know, the team's like got a consistency from your position. Now the other players can play better. The one I want to ask about is the bot lane, though. Because if you remember, last year, if you rewind to that one where SK was on that run with Markoon last year, that was, everyone was raving about this bot lane because Exekick was having all these crazy score lines and getting loads and loads of kill. What do you make of the bot lane in this team? Because I have to say, this time around, you'll notice, I actually sort of highlighted the solo lane as more on the top side of the map. I actually think kind of the identity of the team's changed a bit. Like, for me, the problem with the Exekick guy, like I said, is it's like the skill is clearly there. I can see what the what why people were raving about him, but I also feel like he's a bit incomplete as a player, if you know what I mean. Like I said before, I don't always trust this guy to carry if he has the, the resources, mate. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to, like, say where Exekick really ends up, right? I wouldn't say he's, like, super where it's very clear that this guy can be doing more. But yeah, at the same time, if you were to watch a LPL game and you watch the bigger LPL AD carries and you watch Exekick, right? Uh, or you watch a, 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 a strong performance or upset and then you watch Exekick, you, you would look at this guy and you'll feel that, yeah, he definitely could be doing more. And that's that's where I lie with him. I don't think it's a it's a it's a very huge flaw with him as a player. I wouldn't say he's a flawed player, but he's not a great player either. And that's where probably where uh it's one of those situations where it's one of those stuffed choices, especially given where, where SK is, right? Is this a player you want to replace? Because then you you then risk end up having someone who has a whole other host of issues or whatsoever. Or do you are, are you okay with where he is at this point of time? But if you are keeping him, then you need to make sure that the other pieces of the team are able to step up and then be able to more compensate, right? For the fact that he's not going to be the one to step up and really uh, clutch a team fight in those cases. I think one year ago, it was probably because of Zeri meta or something, which is why people were so high on him. I, I don't really recall at this point of time, but I, I knew that when it came to watching SK and when it came to watching, uh, it was DOS as well, right? In the bottling, DOS and Exekick, they were always there. I never really took notes down when I watched in place so never it probably meant that they never really did uh practically horrible things or they or they did particularly good things either right what about obviously some of the other teams you already referred to them earlier another team that's this is one of the reasons why here's the difference bds has earned where they are like one only g2 is better than them and then secondly i might think some of these other rosters should have done something but quite frankly the way bds has played i can't even be sure that like a super powered calming corp of heretics and all this, i can't even be sure they would have been better actually bds has kind of played at a level i wouldn't have expected the difference is i think one of the reasons also why teams like that have got to separate themselves is like this vitality squad this one's a nightmare for me to analyze mate because i actually feel like i actually low-key do think there is something to this squad like there are elements that i don't despise but i also personally think i actually think some of these players for fundamentally don't fit together that well, mate. Like, I'll give you an example. You know, everyone's tunneling because obviously on your screen, he is literally dying all the time on Hillisang, right? Like, as usual, he is obviously always going to be incredibly divisive because he goes for the craziest players that if they work, look like genius. If they don't, they look stupid. And the problem is this time around, they all just look stupid, basically. Like, he's getting very few of the genius ones off. So people are forgetting that he used to be great at this. And so one of the problems I notice in the team is this. I feel like when you look at a player like that, Jensen, especially if you're coming from a coaching perspective that's not a player in isolation like you can't just look at that like right what support do I want do I want Trimby do I want Mickey X do I want Hillisang no no when you look at Hillisang what you have to ask is do you have the players that can make what he does work and here's the issue I think he has I said this on something insight think about this right you know how over the 
years in league, one of the really interesting things is we've developed this notion of how certain roles play together on a team, not just individually, like they're not plug and play. So famously, the original one was obviously jungle mid because obviously like Europe, for example, played that style forever. And then I would say, I would say if you go to like season eight, season nine, that's when famously supports are all roaming to mid and suddenly it's sort of like jungle mid support have to sort of be on the same page. Well, if we do jungle mid support, last year, this guy had El Yoya and Niski. This guy, this year, he has Douglas and Vettio. So you can already, I hope, see just by me mentioning the names and you're thinking of those players. Like, one is just players who maybe in isolation, I actually think Douglas guy's been pretty poor, but whatever. In isolation, he's supposed to be like a promising jungler and then Vettio's like a good but a bit limited mid laner. Bro, before we had El Yoya, who just is like the jungler. Like, I think he's just the shit. And then Niski's like the ultimate team player who works with specifically his jungler and his support. Like, the problem you have here as well is, I think essentially, that's the one part I couldn't see at the beginning of the split. It's like, I think this team's like inappropriate to have Hillisang. Look, he is definitely doing some really bad plays himself. I, it's not that I'm forgiving those or saying like, he's, I, he's not really having a bad, he's having a terrible split, guys. It's one of his worst than ever. But my point is, I don't think his team even has the capability to, this is why they're out of the league, in my opinion. They, they didn't have the ability to offset it or to make it into a winning play or to, or to rescue at any point. It just looked like they, quite frankly, they look as terrorized by these players as, as I do, mate. And I'm, I'm, they're supposed to be working with this fucking guy and figuring out what he's doing. Like, where's your take on Vitality? Because I have to say, I got tricked. I thought this was going to be like the fourth best team in the LEC. Whereas, as you see, I mean, sure, they're like 56th or whatever. But if you look how they actually played in the server, mate, man, they, they were way more underwhelming than I thought. I hoped for a lot more from this squad, you know. I think that there's, there's two angles to the Hillisang thing, right? So there, there's a perfect storm of issues that the that that's facing Hillisang right now, where the LEC has gone from a paradigm shift, right? Where uh, initially before that, when Rogue was the dominant team, where there'll be a lot of this one three one one two two kind of gameplay going around. And what Hillisang would like to do, uh, likes to do, where he just just likes to run around the map as a support and then be able to get deep vision in or be able to find some crazy flank angle and uh, do all those. Uh, crazy Hillisang things, is it doesn't work anymore when you're playing against all these teams that are playing this two-lane map control play style. Because when you play against the two-lane map control play style, as we saw, I think it was the game against uh, against against Mad Lions, right? Where every time he would run into the river, there's two people there, three people that are waiting for him, right? As compared to when people are playing 1-3-1, you run in, you see the opponent's support, you wave your fist at him, and then he gets scared. Oh, holy crap, this Hillisang going to put some respect right. on his name, right? But when I got all the homies behind me, you're sure that the Nautilus is coming your way. Yes. Right? And that, that's one of the issues as well. So the times have changed, but this is where uh, Hillisang has not changed as a player, right? This is what used to work for him, but this is one of the challenges that you have when you work with veteran players as well. You all of a sudden tell them that this is what used to give you so much success is now wrong. Yes. You have to let them see it for themselves. And I was entirely see that this is entirely within uh, Mac's approach to it. Right? I, I can't say for sure that this is what he's doing, but he, I'm very sure. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm not very sure. But, Put it this way, uh, when I did an interview with Mac possible. in this offseason, he absolutely said that one of his main coaching styles is not to tell people, like, for example, you entered and that's wrong. It's more to ask them, like, what were you trying to do and how could you do it differently? So actually, what you're saying, I think actually is borne up by what he says. It's implied that he won't just, like, sort of be like, hey, don't do it. He wouldn't do, like, the famous story from TSM back in the day where they told Wild Turtle don't flash because he kept doing misplays. Their analogy would be flash but you just got to explain why after the fact. You know? So if anything, I think you're right. That sounds like it actually enables this playing style when it's at its worst, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I think that follows up with a lot of the interviews where Mac has talked about, right? Where he, I think it's like four years back where he went out and talked about how you can't coach aggression into a player. So he would never tell a player to be less aggressive because yes. you cannot coach a player to become, you can you can only coach a player to, to, sorry, you can coach a player to reel it in, but you cannot coach a player to be more aggressive, right? Which funnily enough is what has been the opposite of what has happened with uh, Matt Lyons and, and BDS, right? People were able to coach the spirits to become aggressive, but uh, this is not to try to take a shot with Mac and Mac whatsoever, right? It's just to, to contextualize what's the problem sure. that we're dealing with over here. So he hasn't really been able to, to reheal his anger, and this is going to be a growing pain. Of course, we can give him more slack if this is his first bit working with Helisang, but this has been the second year that they're working yep. together now, and if he hasn't found a solution to that, then he, he needs to find one soon, right? Either what he has tried is not working, and in that case, why continue to then work with Helisang for another year, right? What was the upside that they saw that is now missing, that is not with this player anymore? Or is this simply a wrong read of the matter? And this is something that they need to sit down and reorganize moving into spring split and say that, okay, we understood these elements of the game. We thought that people were still playing 1-3-1. We, we, we thought that people were still playing a three-lane, farm-centric play style of gameplay. And then this is the changes that we need to make, right? Because uh, strategically, Vitality has had the wrong approach towards the game this split. And of course, Hillisang, because of his tendencies, he looks like the most egregious, egregious inter. So that's where people have, are focused on, right? But um, just to go back to the Douglas point, um, when I, whenever I take notes on watching Vitality play, Douglas appears in my notes so much for mistakes that he makes. It's actually one of the things where um, it should be the consideration, right? As to there needs to be a, a, a serious talk amongst themselves. Do we do something about this jungler? Or what can we do to help him avoid or improve his gameplay? Because that is, the Hillisang one is the red herring here right? You brought him in for, for an upside. He might not be giving the upside right now. How can they correct this? If Matt clearly believes in him to have want to have continued with him for another year. So there has got to be a solution over there. Douglas is the part of the puzzle, which I do not think that they have the right fit for. Right. Okay. What about, um, I think actually, it's funny because obviously Carmine Corp dominated all narratives because of how epic their failure was. And then eventually they even caught, fired the coach before the fucking split was over. Like, so understandably, they win drama of the year. But I actually think low-key, if you, if you don't have like, uh, if you're not thinking too much about the first two weeks, the actual team that's really shocking has got to be Team Heretics. Like for real, if we look at how the split ended, they're the, they are frauds. They just are frauds. Like, it's actually kind of crazy because remember, the craziest thing about this team is it's so easy to see why we all got baited in because you look at that top side of the map and your brain even says, not just they played together in the past, but you think to yourself, if anything can fix past year's problems, surely it's these three getting together again. Like, you think to yourself, right, so Perks, look, as I alluded to earlier, it was definitely overplayed the past years, the idea he was just a trash laner. The sad problem now is he's not having a great split now. Obviously, it's not making it look good. But you'd think to yourself, give him Yankos, the ultimate cover jungler, and who basically always plays awesome with his mid. That sounds like the recipe to solve that problem. Hasn't worked. In fact, the irony is even Yankos by the end looked worse. Then there's the whole wonder factor. Look, I've not only talked to this guy on shows and in interviews, but I've tried to probe this guy behind the scenes. I always got the vibe, this is what was implied to me, that he was like a guy who in spirit is supposed to be a carry top laner. He is like the star top laner. You even look at how he plays. Like he has the arrogance and the hubris of the 
the, I've, I'm going to smash the lane and get the solo kills and you can't dive me and I don't need the jungle help. But the problem is, in the teams, like for example, when he had Reckless or when they had players, like they had to play to bot lane, yeah, he would be the weak side, wouldn't he? He would just give up and be sacrificial. So I was hoping, right, well, this team, you've got Flackhead, mate. That's your green light to be the carry anytime you want. In fact, I even think that's what Flackhead's excellent at. The problem is, when you look at it, Wonder, isn't it a guy who's going to play the carry every game? He's definitely not going to win every game. He's not going to win every lane. Like, if that was him years ago, that isn't him now. So the top side just has not lived up to the billing, quite frankly. They just haven't been that team. And also, this is the real killer for me. You know what I was doing an individual breakdown there? Dude, the one that actually kills my soul is where are all the genius map moves? You know what I mean? Like, the one thing I thought we would get from this team, Jensen, it's one thing I've always given perks right to the very end is, even in those vitality lineups, he would still go for, like, a crazy flank. He would try and do, like, a veteran move to win you a game, to get you back. This is the key way to phrase it, to flip a game. Dude, they don't flip games. They actually, like, some sort of... They think they're, like, the Korean... LCK sixth seed and their job is just to like go, well, you've played correctly, so hats off to you. I will now gracefully lose the game to you as should happen in the match because my joke about LCK teams is they all play by such a strict set of protocols. It really is just like someone like, right, you made the correct play, so I will counter that with the second best play, which isn't as good, so you win. Well done because that like, makes sense to them. Whereas like, what I always thought was brilliant about the old G2 teams, especially with this core of players, was the idea like when it's going badly, you short circuit the game, you do some crazy play, you group up, you do a crazy skirmish play or you get some you get a kill somewhere or you trade somewhere they don't do any of this shit in this team like it's actually a really underwhelming squad like the joke is at the end of the split my biggest questions aren't for the players it's actually mate what is Peter Don gonna do because remember his history is to get rookies who by definition are flawed and coach them up to a level where they're then like functional in this scenario I think he actually has almost the opposite scenario to his skill set historically like it's what he actually has to do now essentially Jensen is come into a group of older or they're all champions from it. Every player's a champion on the team. He has to come into a group of established champions and seemingly get the, most of them to not play the way they currently view the game. I think that's a, that's one of the hardest tasks I've ever heard of. So, mate, go anywhere you want on this one. Where are you at with Team Heretics? I feel this is a buffet of analysis, if you want. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start with regards to this. I mean, when, when you talk about like the genius map plays and stuff, like, it's, it happens, you catch the glimpses of it and it gives you the taste and it makes you hopeful that this is wow you see the glimpses of 2019 g2 but they sit in the bottling bush and get a pick off on somebody and then they're able to then re-extend the play on the same self to members like this is a g2 uh this is the 2019 g2 that i everybody loves right but seem to have a, a bigger grasp on the game right now but right now it feels like they're not even they're not ahead of the game. They're 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 behind. They're trying to catch up to people. Their their protocols when it comes to like catching up on the map when it comes to defending plays is is missing. They're they're not defending the waves properly. The timings are wrong. The movement on the map is not there as well. There are just so many pieces that are missing, right? Because the the problem was that this is not 2019 G2 playing in 2020. This is 2019 G2 playing in 2024. There's five years and the game has changed uh, for, for five years, right? Where th these same ideas of what um, initially they, they started by saying that what if we went two people on the side lane instead, right? And it's like, holy shit, that's genius. They have one, but we have two. Two beats one, right? So we are always able to push through the sites. And then all these other LPL teams started like, okay, what, what if we brought four instead, right? And then this is how the, the map control style of game they continue to evolve. And as a result of that, when when they go back to this thinking, you don't see the support jungle connection that's really needed, and which is what the top LPL teams or even teams like BDS or the top four that the top four teams are doing these days when approaching the the mid lane diamond or when going the map at all. Um, 
when it comes to ensuring that the side that they can push out, you only see the, the Yankos and Perks pairing over there, right? Which is what they used to do in the past. And this is where it's really uh, the, the question of would a lower place tier, uh, would, would, uh, would a fifth place LEC team today be able to do well at the World Championship, say, seven years ago, right? And this is probably an evidence of that because of the, the knowledge scaling that happens in the game. You understand and you learn how the meta has evolved and you're able to then reapply it back to that. And this has the same curse as the Hillisang problem, right? Where because you're working with veteran players, in, instinctively, when they make the play, their body tells them that this is what helped them reach the finals of Worlds in 2019, right? Like I can't say for sure that, that that's what might be that that is what is happening, but this is the things that you have to look at as a coach, right? Where when you deal with veteran players, it's a lot more difficult to broach these topics with them, right? Because they they tell they turn around and tell you that this is the correct way. This is what this is what has worked for me in the past, or they might tell you that, and it's a lot harder to to deal with that, right? Because they have found so much success with this, it's very hard for them to change those habits, to change in in their mind what is the positive experience. To then realize that okay, the game has evolved in these ways, and then now you really have to break it down to them not just once, not just twice, but repeatedly and let them see it and not let that relationship be antagonistic, become antagonistic at the same time, right? And because you got to let them see the light and at the same time not feel like you're shitting on whatever has brought them success in the past. So it's not a, it's it's, it's a very cursed chalice, right? But it's, it's like what we said, if you're feeling done, you cannot say no to this lineup. You're given the option, you'd be crazy oh, you to have say to, no. Of course, yeah. Especially but like I say, like one, you're thinking that you're going to get all these benefits from having these veteran players. And then secondly, they're all champions as well. Like, yeah, the point is, if you're someone like him, like you've been playing the game on hard mode so much of your career, you want to be the guy where it's like, hey, I want to be like Dylan Fuck, give me the best players. Can I have a chance to win the championship? Like, because there's always a part of that, I can tell you as well with these coaches, which is they're not all playing with an even deck. Some people have more powerful tools, as it were, than you do. So and some, eventually you want a chance to play with the big toys, as it were. So yeah, that's a, that's a tragic component for sure. You're going to say something? Go on, jump in. Yeah, I, I was saying though, but from, from the interviews that I've heard, right, it actually sounds like he has a, re a good relationship with the players. I think sure. he has a great relationship with Jankos. And I think that that is a very important key here, right? But the good news is that when you watch the cameras and stuff like that, you still see a fair bit of smells, right? The mood of the team is to rather... Uh, Rather cheery of sorts. It's less cheery as getting knocked out and being a, being exposed. Oh to yeah! By the way, that, that's something I should probably say really quickly because I guess some people only know like the on-camera personalities of these players. I can tell you that if you see people like Perks and Yankos laugh when they lose, that's not a bad sign at all. You're actually doing like a fucking Spanish fans versus Niski thing from MSI last year. If you get mad at that, like you have to understand that's how they sort of like deal with the fucked it's a fucked up game. Like the joke is, some of them probably laugh even more when they know the game was terrible and they played a ball that's like their sort of way of banishing the demons as it were and cleansing themselves you just laugh and you get over it and you try and also by the way don't worry those are the players historically who in the VOD review are definitely going to bring up the issues and go over them etc the point is their whole style of being a teammate is sort of like let's just laugh it off now to keep good vibes and then let's deal with it later so I would just say don't read too much of that because that's another thing I actually low-key think actually worries people because it makes them think that these players are just here like lol who cares I'm losing like people probably heard that story I said in the offseason where like Perks took a way lower salary to be on this team like he isn't here just to like go like it's not like when player you know the EU players used to go to LCS and go lol I'm getting millions who gives a shit like it's not that at all like he is trying so if he's bad he's just bad but I actually think yeah I think that part's an overreaction my, my biggest problem obviously is 
I mean, it's it's such a cliche, but I have to say it, Jensen. There's a reason we do say in English you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like, it's, it's you know, you get them when they're a puppy and you train them then, it's really hard when they're old. Like, so the obvious problem here is, I, I see what you mean, actually. I hadn't thought of that angle. Since he obviously had Jankos last year with a different roster, to be fair, they obviously have an experience of, like, changing how they how he plays, what his response. Maybe that, maybe that can be the tweak, because I have to say, like I say, the others be having their issues, one thing, but I was really shocked by the Jankos drop-off. Mate. Like to me, this guy has never stopped being an elite jungle for like one second for about seven years or something. This split, he actually towards the end, he had some dodgy games, man. He actually had some wedge team. He was just bad, right? Yeah, I mean, uh it's really hard to tell like what's happening within that, right? Like it's uh it's a little easier to maintain your your level as a as an elite jungler when you're the person that everybody looks up to. But now when you're bringing perks, you're bringing wonder and all these people as well. Uh Definitely the, the team dynamic changes quite a fair bit. And definitely what the team dynamic looks like right now is probably the, the key to all to the, the key to solving up all of these issues, right? And uh this might be one of those they just gotta go shoot a fire and then when they come out of the fire, either they'll be burnt to a Chris or this is gonna be a reinvention of um how they approach and how they see the game, right? It's not to say that these players they are they're known to be very dogmatic and very stuck in one way of thinking. This is, we're talking about Brooks, right? He went from playing mid lane to playing ADC to playing back to mid lane. He has played through all these countless metas. So the veterancy can definitely help them as well, right? So it's really a question of, can we see what are the missing pieces? And can the coaching staff be the ones to go in there? Right to, to facilitate the process, and I think that this is the biggest difference, right? Where it, it goes from teaching and explaining the differences to facilitating them and being able to conduct their analysis and what has helped them find all the success through all these years to be to them be able to see that okay, this is how the game has changed over these past few years. This is what I thought of when uh, when say if, if I'm perks, right? This is what I I used to think of when I was going to C9. This were the problems that we had, and then be able to just have a very long sit down, right? What TH needs is not scrims at this point of time. It's just a uh, open up the memory archive, like Morty's Mind Blasters and stuff, stuff like that from the Rick and Morty episode. Just take those memory valves and put it into each other, help them see each, help, help each player see what the other person is seeing, help them understand what they're thinking, and then they, they need to come together and cook up a soup, right? And hopefully the soup is going to be some of the best soup that Europe has ever tasted, or it might just turn out to be crap, you know? Of course, I'm living as very Scornico's box equation, but in order to brew that soup, for that, for it to have any chance of that soup being amazing, that needs to happen. The, the chefs need to come together, infuse the the, the NA style, the Eastern style, what they've learned from Korea, what Yankos has learned is they in Europe all this time, right? And bring it together for them to then reinvent how they want to play the game. Or maybe they just watch YouTube and say, okay, this is <laughs> this is what's effective, and then we just copy that. But if they do that, I'll I'll be very disappointed. Right, the last team in the playoffs who obviously were eliminated immediately was Giant X, right? The good news and bad news goes like this. The good news is... I'm even mentioning Giant X all these weeks into the playoffs because I actually didn't even think this team would... I thought this would be one of the bottom two teams. I actually thought this roster looked ass on paper. So they already outperformed that, or rather, Rogue and Carmine Cop are worse than I thought. You could frame it that way too. The bad news is I don't actually have almost any redeeming qualities to say about this team. Like, is I'll do my absolute best... Right, the Jackies guys had a couple of games where it's like, okay, maybe there's more potential than I thought there was. He had a couple that were all right. Peach, I will give him this. I used to say he does nothing. He does something in the early game and then he does nothing. So there's that. And by the way, he got mega capped by, uh, by fucking El Yoya. Like, that was ridiculous. Did he not just get benched? <laughs> uh, 
Oh, he might have done, but yeah, he, he deservedly. I, I, sought, I saw so. that he's playing for their for for their for their um for the ERL team. So I'm not sure if that's official that he's okay. been playing. I don't know if it has. I saw, I so there's that one. I do think Odo's had one of his worst splits ever. But the problem with that one is, if you know his style of play, like he is a fucking tank weak side player, guys. Like it's not the that's not where the main issue is. I also think, right, aside from jungle, here's the one thing that I've been really underwhelmed by on this team. Uh, on paper, the names of the bot lane should be good. Mate, that bot lane's nothing. Like, what is this? Like, the, uh, genuinely, I feel like this is a team where I, like, they don't even have, as we say, like, in the, the terminology in sports is like a puncher's chance. Like, you know, the thing about Fnatic is there's actually a world where Fnatic could actually win the LEC. Essentially, if people like Humanoid Mega Opa perform or Oscar and has, like, some crazy laning phase or Noah just does, like, week fucking two of LEC summer last year where he couldn't die or whatever. The difference is this team, like, they don't, they're less than the sum of their parts, mate. This team's terrible. Like, and like, you even look at the names which could be good and they're, they're kind of not, they don't even have the full force you'd want. They don't, this team has no knockout punch. Like, for real, I don't know how this team was ever supposed to win a series. Like, it's just a bad squad as far as I can tell. What do you think of Giant X? I mean, the team is, uh, I, I say they will be the whipping boys of, of the LEC. They won one game against Rogue, so here they are in the playoffs. And they're only here because Vita, uh, not Vita, because K-Cop completely yes. shut the bait, right? If they could eliminate three teams from the playoffs, they would have been the, the team eliminated as well. So, um, I don't. I mean, the only thing I have to say with regards to this is, uh, Patrick is someone where every year you hear that he's he's supposed to be really yes. good, right? And every year he yes. ends up on underwhelming split after underwhelming split. I think this year with the meta and how this is supposed to be his type of meta, I always have been penciled in as more as a. A uh, Varus Ash Callista type of player, right? A uh, Varus Ash Callista Draven, the type of AD carry that if you give them, a, give him a good support, he can really pressure in the lane and squeeze the value, and squeeze the value out of those trades. Um, and they can't even do well in in these scenarios. Then I think it's, uh, I don't really know where this team goes from here, or even if I'm gonna say that Patrick was a player that I've always rated decently highly, I I don't know where he goes from here either. So I think it's a little bit of a Maybe it's time to to, to say to blow it up with the with the split is not the right approach as well. But some way somehow this team has either folded in in the GMing and team construction type of things, or they are just taking a slower right. Right, there was no dom, but we appreciate all our subs, and let's see how we get out of this one. And see you next time, clientele, next week to see what we do with the whipping boys. At eSports Bet right now, you can make all kinds of bets and predictions on matches around the world in League of Legends. Obviously, soon the LPL off week will end where they've been celebrating the Chinese New Year. We've got all the big games coming up there. LCKs are still running now. It's getting its big upsets already. LEC is obviously about to end. But we've still got some big series. LCS is still well underway. We're yet to reach the playoffs yet. You've got all these major regions. You can easily go make your bets and predictions. And as always, check out our promotions to get more from your crypto.